Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris, pastor here at Trinity, and so glad to be with you uh, here just right before, before Christmas. And I do love that we're an equal opportunity uh, flame church. Uh, it's, it's, uh, we've caught some flack over the years for giving uh, hundreds of small children candles, but we've never burned the building down. And so I would say, though, seriously, uh, if, if you don't like kids or... Uh, <laughs> are overwhelmed by crowds, please don't come to the four o'clock because uh, there was no room for the baby Jesus in the end, and there will also be no room for you, most likely. So uh, that's why we do four, uh, and then I think a, a few on uh, the east side as well. So very good. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 1. We're here on the fourth week of, of Advent, and if you've been uh, marking time with us uh, then you know that we've got four lit candles. And I, I just love to watch those things burn down because it lets me know Christmas morning is, is coming. It's, it's upon us. And so today we're going to turn our attention to, to Joseph and Mary. Uh, Matthew 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray, and then let's try to, uh, let's try to think some, some deep thoughts about, about the Bible. Lord, we ask you this morning uh, for the grace of God to be still. Lord, many of us come into this room um, distracted, maybe even worn out already uh, from the traveling and the spending and the parties and all the obligations that we feel placed upon us this time of year. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today, uh, not, not through the words of, of, of a sermon, Lord, but that you would speak to our hearts as we think about uh, transcendent things, important things. And we ask God for your help. Help us to be still in our minds as well as our bodies. Help us to hear you and receive something from you that would help us walk toward a Christmas morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a, that last song pertained to the goodness of God, I think to me today hit, hits me in a very particular way because uh, in my own life, this has been a, a, a really challenging year for me on, on a very personal level. Just, you know, you live long enough and you find that you come to these uh, crossroads, these junctures in life where uh, things could go one way or the other. And all of us in one way or another know what those junctures and crossroads feel like. And the challenge with a crossroad is you never know you're there until you're there. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, uh, I could make a decision that could move me down one road or, or the other. And this year has been one of those years where I feel like I've faced a number of those significant uh, internal crossroads where the road could have gone one way or the other. And 
I believe that the gift of Advent and, and Christmas in general, I think the story of Jesus entering into human history is largely about God coming near to us when we reach these forks in the road. And so today, if you're at a fork in the road of any kind, uh, I just want to know and want you to know that God wants to, I think, say some things to you today about how you might respond to that. Over the last three weeks leading up to today, we have been reading passages of scripture from the Bible that don't feel particularly uh, Christmassy, right? Like we, we want to sit with Joseph and Mary and shepherds and, and angels. And yet over the last number of weeks, we've been reading about Jesus holding a winnowing fork in his hand and John the baptizer saying things like prepare the way of the Lord. Well, today is the first day where we really come to this place of seeing humans decide what they're going to do with Jesus. And I will submit this to you. Uh, Joseph and Mary, in my opinion, are Uh, prime examples of what it looks like for humans to be confronted with God coming near to them and that human then deciding to do the right thing. And your whole life, my whole life, I think is about preparing so that when the critical moment comes, when the fork in the road happens to you again and again throughout your life, when that moment comes, God wants you to be prepared to say yes to him rather than to say yes to self-preservation. And Mary and Joseph are examples of what it looks like to reject our tendency to self-preserve, to just protect our own turf and to say yes to God, even when they don't understand. So I want you to have that in your mind today as we walk through this passage. I'm I'm only going to say four things to you, four things that I hope are going to Hope we're going to help you think about this passage in a way that is constructive and maybe even redemptive. Number one, Joseph and Mary are pledged to be married. Uh, this passage begins with an engagement. And we, we live in a world where uh, engagements now are like Instagram uh, moments. We, we, we hide people in bushes. Uh, we take pictures. Uh, I think that the, you know, 10 years ago, it was the birth thing, you know, like popping balloons and ridiculous colors coming out of a balloon to tell some, the world. Uh, and we do care what gender your child is, but maybe not as much as, as some would have thought. And, and engagements now have eclipsed birth parties. Uh, we, we, we do these remarkable things. We're so into the beginning of a thing. They don't make as many videos of engagements being called off. I've like actually looked online and I haven't found as many of those. And I know as a pastor, the engagements are called off all the time. Uh, People decide like, you know, engagements are like, I really like you. And then you kick the tires on whether you want to get married. Well, in the ancient world for Mary and Joseph, it it didn't work that way. Uh, They would have lived in in a small town. Their parents would have been heavily involved in the process. Like I've tried to negotiate with my kids, like us us arranging a marriage for them. I don't know that it's going to work out. Uh, But Joseph and Mary would have had a lot of input and they would have never, ever, ever been allowed to be alone together. Like, Like the culture controlled the narrative in a major way. And so Mary and Joseph are engaged. They're getting to know one another with people all around them. And to call off an engagement, you had to actually go through divorce proceedings. So it was like all the responsibility without much of the the benefit, if you will, of romantic love. And Joseph and Mary are in this place where they're preparing to be married and they're going to be married. But to stop the process would have required something really drastic, like something more awkward than like posting it on social media. They would have to go through a very grueling process of, of ending it, of saying, I don't choose you. 
I choose you and now I unchoose you. So Mary and Joseph's connection is actually a really official one. It's a really profound one. It's a really big deal. Um, It's really not like the way we tend to treat engagement today. And Joseph notices something. Or he's told something. And I doubt Mary would have been able to really tell him. I don't think she would have been able to explain to him. Because how do you explain like an angel has visited me and I'm going to have a baby and nobody understands. And they weren't allowed to really be alone. And so um, we're left to kind of guess like what would it have looked like for them to figure this out? Like maybe Joseph noticed that her body was changing. Uh, They lived in a really small town, and so he probably heard people talking about it, like whispering. And this, this reality of like, if you're from a small town, you know what this is like. Like everybody knows everybody's business in small towns. And Mary and Joseph were living in a really uh, small place, uh, a place where people would have been talking. And so we're not actually told how Joseph figures it out. But what we are told And the second kind of really important thing I think for us to think about, especially if we're going to think about Joseph as a model for what it means to be Christian, Uh, Mary and Joseph specifically as models for what it means to be Christian, what we are told is that when Joseph does figure it out, he's really deliberative and kind of, uh, actually not kind of, very compassionate in how he plans to respond. The the second movement in this passage is that Joseph is, um, he's careful. And I try to put myself, I I actually have been sitting this week as Christmas is coming and um, I've tried to step back. And I think Advent is a time for you to step back from all the nostalgia, all the sentimentality, all the like greeting card, a flattened out, like romanticized view of what Christmas means. And to recognize that Joseph saw something and Mary couldn't really explain something and that they were faced with like desperately challenging, even scandalous circumstances. And I'm going to tell you this, when God moves close to you, it's oftentimes very uncomfortable, at least in part. When God decides to get into your space and he asks for you to say yes to him in some significant way, when you get to one of those crossroads, those forks in the road, when we say yes to God, it almost always comes with some sort of cost or some sort of internal turmoil. Um, And Jesus coming close to Joseph and Mary was actually no different. It was profoundly uncomfortable. And yet Joseph doesn't default to self-preservation. He doesn't just say like, what have you done? And she had no opportunity most likely to explain what had happened. And even if she did, like try it on. I know this looks like I've done something, but I haven't. And this is like the first time in literally in human history that this has happened. We're good, right? (laughs) Like it's a moment where even the explanation wouldn't have worked. And Joseph, rather than exposing her to public shame, which he could have done, and some would have argued maybe culturally at the time that he should have done to distance himself from a narrative that would have been painfully uncomfortable, um, we get the first glimpse into Joseph's character. He steps back and he actually deliberates. He's thoughtful. He's careful. He's full of care. He doesn't want to shame someone. And I just want to ask you, as you think about what it means to be a Christian, how do you act when you feel betrayed? 
Like, is it tempting to just sort of throw someone under the bus in an effort to protect yourself? Well, if we're going to look at Joseph and Mary as exemplars of what it means to be spiritual, Joseph doesn't actually throw someone under the bus when he deeply believes that they've hurt him, that they've wronged him, that they've done something scandalous. His heart is to do the right thing, to divorce, but to do it in a way that did not injure or, or, or publicly humiliate or shame Mary beyond what was absolutely humanly possible on his part. And so I just want to say to you, if you are thinking about how to be spiritual and looking at Joseph as a way to think about what that looks like, I would say to you, um, think about whether or not you want to hurt when hurt, to lash out when, when you're betrayed, and see that Joseph actually tells us that there's something else, there's another way to go forward. We're not told how Joseph and Mary are formed. We're not told what they had done to get them to this place. What we are shown is that when they reach the crossroad, both of them in very real and meaningful ways say yes and do the right thing rather than the wrong thing. The trick in life is that you don't know when your crossroads are coming. You don't know when the crisis is coming. And I'm going to be very clear with you. We will never experience a crisis on the level of world importance is what Joseph and Mary encountered. But we do experience our own crises, our own forks in the road. And Joseph had been formed in such a way that his heart was to be deliberate and to be loving. Love means to desire the good of another person. And he desires her good. But I want to sit with Mary for a second. She was almost certainly a teenager. Um, a kid, by our standards at least. And Mary gives assent to be a house for God. And in that sense, I think that Mary is the truest example of what it means to be a person of faith. She um, quite literally says, I will make space for you to grow in my own person, to take up more and more space. I will be a house for you. And in a very real way, all of us, male and female alike, are called to be houses for God. We're called to make room for him, not just to be a part of a really busy life, but to take up central space and actually change the way things work. Mary said yes as a teenager to this plan. She doesn't know where it's going to go except for to some tricky spaces. She assents to God coming into and taking up space in her, knowing maybe to a degree, of course to a degree, that it was going to cost her something. How would she explain it to Joseph? How would she live? How would this work? With all of those questions unanswered, Mary says yes. And I believe that one of the things that we have to sit with as we seek to be people of faith is are we going to say yes even when we have questions? Are we going to move forward with God even when all of our questions are not answered? Because think about it. Joseph, he like wanted his questions answered. Mary probably did too, just like you do. We want to have our questions answered. And some of us come into a room like this um, and you're stuck in your spirituality because you think, if God, if you would just answer all my questions, then I will move forward. But if you're not going to answer my questions, like I'm going to stay right here. I won't budge. What would have happened if Mary and Joseph had said, I'm not going to budge till you tell me everything? They had to move. So I just want to say, are you willing to move? If you're stuck, are you willing to move? Are you willing to get things moving again? The third movement in this passage is God actually appears to Joseph. Now, he'd already decided to do the right thing, but then God appears to him 
and says, I want you to be brave. Well, how did she get pregnant? What are we going to do? What's our family going to look like? Is this going to follow us around forever? What is this going to feel like? We're not told that Joseph gets real clarity on those details. Like it's your nature and mine to ask questions. And y'all, it's God's prerogative to sometimes leave some things in the arena of mystery. And there've been places in my own spiritual journey where I've thought, I'm not moving until I get all these questions answered. And God still says, I want you to move. And he invites Joseph and Mary to be brave while living into levels of mystery and uncertainty. And so I just want to ask you, how do you do with uncertainty? What does uncertainty stir in you? I believe that's a very Advent question to ask yourself. Some of us become fearful. Some of us become reckless. Some of us become cynical. What we're told is that Joseph, who had determined to do the right thing, encounters God, but his encounter with God does not resolve all of his questions. And I would say to you, as you seek to be spiritual, all your questions will not be answered. We don't get to know it all on this side of the story. What we get is a sense that God wants to say to us, I want you to move. I want you to keep going. I want you to be brave. And y'all, courage is not the absence of fear. Like that's, that's like one of the biggest lies in our culture. We think like brave people are people who don't feel afraid. Um, if you don't feel afraid, it's not courageous. Like it's just you're doing what you do. Um, courage is to be afraid and move anyway. And that's why I think we actually should all endeavor to be brave people. But God invites us to be brave because we are walking into uncertain spaces. I'm sure that all of us in this room, in one way or the other, are facing some level of uncertainty. A question we don't have answered. It could be a health question. It could be a college decision question. It could be a romantic question. It could be a job question. We have these things that linger over our heads like giant question marks as we live our lives. And the reality, I think, one of the things that Mary and Joseph teach us is that God invites us to move even while questioning. He invites us actually to put one foot in front of another. And so Joseph decides that he's going to move forward. And I love the fact that this passage doesn't spend a great deal of time. We're going to, on Jesus, like we're going to turn our attention to Jesus in a couple of days. This is about primarily the human response to what God does when he enters into our space. And Joseph decides to move in the midst of some uncertainty. And then finally, we're given two clues about Jesus. He will save and he will be with. And those two pictures, I think, tell us so much about who it is that we're dealing with. If we're going to be spiritual people, we need to recognize that God cares enough to enter into the dark places of your life and mine, that he wants to actually meet us, save us, rescue us, that he wants to actually do something for us. And if we just believe that Jesus makes us feel warm feelings in our bellies, we're missing something significant. If we just think he wants to make you feel comforted while all hell breaks loose around you, you're missing something significant. Jesus actually has something to say about your life and mine. He actually came to do things for us and in us. He came to change things, but not from a distance. He came to change things from up close. So we have these two pictures, Yeshua, which is jo Joshua, Savior, God saves, is Jesus. And then we have Emmanuel, 
He saves by being with you, close to you. And as I walk over the next two days toward Christmas morning, I want to make my heart and my life, um, I want to create space for God to show me that he wants to do things in my life and he wants to do things in my life by being near to me, close to me. And so you have an opportunity. Over the next couple of days, we all have an opportunity to find some spaces to step back from your life, to slow down, to light some candles, to come and be in a reflective space where you ask God to remind you what he's come to do all along. So whatever it is you're facing, God wants to do something in that space, and he wants to come really close so that we sense and are aware of his presence, so that we know we're not actually alone. You're not alone. Neither am I. And Christmas is a time to remember that. If you're able, let's stand up together. Thanks so much for listening to the sermon today. My name is Chris McDaniel. I am the pastor here on the west side at Trinity in Atlanta. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into likeness. And if you want to find out more information about Trinity or get connected to the life of the church, please visit us at atltrinity.org. Thanks. God bless.